Well, good morning. Um, this morning, uh, we have, obviously, Palm Sunday is a special day for us. We are blessed to, to be able to celebrate, much like they did as Jesus um, came riding in and, and really offering um, salvation. As we look at today, I just want you to recognize that uh, I'm going to be talking about the cross, which I realize happens like five days after Palm Sunday. But you hear Palm Sunday enough, and the cross is really the nuts and the bolts of our faith. If you were really to kind of boil it down, keeping the main thing, the main thing is, is the cross. And it really hits me, and I'll just talk a little bit more about it later on, but this is a book that just absolutely has kind of transformed the way I think about things, but, and we go through it, junior high youth, etc., and it's an important book because of this. It's, so what's the difference? And it's uh, by Fritz Redenhauer. And what it really is, is it's a book of 20 worldviews. And I call them worldviews because that's really what they are. They're a view of the world. And the way that you see things is very important because it's your perception. And sometimes perception becomes what? Your reality. And uh, the cross is the defining difference between the other 19 of the worldviews that are in here. And uh, if you want to call a worldview or a religion, um, the cross is really set apart. It is simply and distinctly so different that I almost would say it needs its own book, and it probably shouldn't be included in this because um, it is so different. But it is a worldview that we have, and we see things through the cross. And as you look through the window in the back here, you see what? You see a cross, and as you look out that window, you realize that cross was put there on purpose. It had a purpose when it was placed in there. It just didn't haphazardly have molecules of a different color, shape, and make this thing that looks like a cross. It was actually designed that way, and it was that way because someone wanted it to be put in that place. As we look at the cross, uh, we recognize that... um, a lot of things are very, very significant about the cross. When I was growing up, growing up in the religion that I grew up in, um, crosses were to be hung, crosses were to be above tables, crosses were to have oil beneath them. I remember just crosses everywhere. They, and they, so a cross was actually a central part of the religion I grew up in. I didn't understand what the cross's meaning was necessarily, whether I was just slow to learn or just couldn't get it. But the cross is so central, and it has a meaning to us that we have to recognize. Because as you walk around in Sheridan, Wyoming, or wherever, you will see crosses all over the place. And they'll be hung around a neck, or they'll be up in the walls. And those, that cross has a meaning to that person that may not exactly be the meaning of the original cross. Why is that what it is? And so it's very unique in its purpose. It's really... It's, it's, it's really a statement of God's passion for people, that he actually created one particular uh, DNA uh, that is actually a kind that is specifically so unique because it is made in his image. And that's very different from any other animal or any other creation. We are created in his image. That is Simply amazing, first off, and very important to understanding the cross. Mark 8.34 says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. The cross is oftentimes an emblem of kind of like a decoration, but really what it is is it's a, it's a symbol of suffering and shame and despisement. And you just recognize that when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he wasn't the first person who was ever crucified. Crucifixion was for what? It was for criminals. And the way that you deter would-be criminals from becoming criminals or acting like criminals is to do what? Punish them and come up with a way that is so awesomely painful that it will keep them from doing what they don't want them to do. And so Jesus was, he was punished in the most, the ultimate way. And yet, at the same time, we recognize it. Um, we know he was not a criminal and he was blameless, but yet there's this symbol that really represents punishment, shame, and despisement. In John 3.16, this most famous verse that we post, most all of us have here, and you see it pasted on people's chests at football games and baseball games and everything else. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And there's a purpose why that window looks the way it is. And there's a purpose for why Jesus came to the earth. It was someone's intention ahead of time that he would make a creation that was in his image. And that that creation would need a redeemer who would have to come in the same way that his image bearers came. And so he would be born as a, as a baby and he would go through normal developments and, and he'd have brothers and I'm sure they wrestled and everything else. And the, the reality is, is that there was a purpose for God to do what he did. The dying on the cross was a fulfillment of what God had planned even before the creations of the earth, before the foundations of the earth were laid. Jesus was planned to come here and to die for his image bearers. Hebrews 9.26 says this, Otherwise Christ would have to have to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all that the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. In small group this last week on Wednesday night, we had a great discussion. And um, Rick, and I'm just going to tell you, his name is Rick because he's in our small group and he doesn't care. He's a great guy. And it's, he was, he's just clicking, and he's, he's asking all these questions. And by the way, where's the best place for you to ask questions when you have spiritual interest? Small group, people who gather together who are his believers. And as you start kind of getting into it and, and asking questions, it, it develops a kind of hunger and a, and a place that you can just say, hey, I don't get that, or hey, I've been thinking about this. What about this? And there's this kind of a ping pong of the ball and going back and forth. And as Rick was sitting there, he just said, I don't get it. He said, I don't get this. He said, it was, it was all these sacrifices in the Old Testament and all these sacrifices came. And he goes, and one of the reasons I just have such a hard time with, I had such a hard time with Christianity is it's just too easy. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, Christianity is too easy? In one way, it's very hard, isn't it? Because you know that you're to conform yourself to the image of Christ. But on the other hand, the way that you are saved is by what? 
leaning a certain direction four times a day and praying, uh, getting down and, and, no, none of those things, right? You're saved by what? By grace, which is a free gift. You don't do anything to receive it. And in fact, if you try to do that, then it's not grace. And Jesus says, empty your hands, because if you're going to come to me, I'm going to give you a free gift. But you can't hang on to your works. You can't hang on to your religion. You can't hang on to what your, your parents taught you as truth, because, well, unless they had Jesus as truth, there is a truth that overcomes all of that. So as Rick was saying, man, it's just too easy. All these Old Testament sacrifices, we don't even have to make those sacrifices. And then he says, hey, why don't we make those sacrifices anymore? And the answer is, thank you. He did it once for all, for all times. So when you receive that free gift from Jesus and you have repented of your sin and you understand that he is the central part of our faith and that cross is so central to it, you receive this free gift and there are no sacrifices for your past sins, your present sins, or your future sins that you pay for yourself. A lot of people think it's a banking scheme. You, you do bad things, so then what do you got? Well, if you write out checks, what do you got to do to make up for that? You got to make deposits, right? So those are good works. Doesn't work that way. Jesus' righteousness is imputed into our account. And so what Rick was saying was, it just seems too easy. But it wasn't easy. And he went on to say, yeah, the other day I cut my foot and I had just a little blood. And he goes, it really, really hurt. My wife took a look at the little bit of blood that was on my foot. And she's like, you baby. And he's like kind of hurt about the whole thing. He was, and then he just realized Jesus was crucified. And then he said this, and cool as a cucumber, quote, on the cross. Why? Because his pain was for a purpose. When a mother goes through childbirth, there is a hope of what? This new life. When Jesus was on the cross, there was a hope of a new life. I think Pastor Tri's got that one covered next week. Recognize the cross is before the crown. We recognize that what Rick was, was saying was very true, that we too don't have to sacrifice. No one brought a lamb this morning. I didn't see any doves. Why? Your sacrifice is Jesus. He died in your place on your cross. The one that had your name above it, who had done these things, he died for you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One of the things that just amazes me is, you can talk to your blue in the face, to your, some of your friends and some of your coworkers or some of people, even people in your family who don't have the Holy Spirit's power in uh, convicting them and, and helping them to understand the truth of the gospel, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to them. It's kind of what Rick was saying. I just don't understand this. And there was a time when Rick didn't understand this, and he was super confused uh, about nine months ago. And he came, into the ch- he came into the church because someone invited him. Like, you got to come to the, you got to come to the study and, and uh, he comes to the Bible study and through the, that whole process, comes to know Jesus personally. Realize with that, that it was foolishness before, but I just had like an hour and a half conversation because if you're on the phone with Rick, it won't be just short because he's got a list of questions. And he, one of the things he said was so encouraging because what he said was this, 
I believe. I have no doubts whatsoever. Nine months foolishness to today, uh, they're so foolish. He said, how can people not see it? I'm like, <laughs> I was just like you, Rick. I didn't see it either. How refreshing the gospel is. Titus 3, 5 says this. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his what? His mercy. And it wasn't, it's not this checking account where you write, out, you write out these checks, you have to make deposits. You weren't saved by that, not by the righteous things that you did. It's because of his mercy that you don't have to pay for your own sin. And it's because of his grace that he gives you the whole inheritance as being a full image bearer, a child of God. Amazing how God uses us in ways that we don't even recognize how we are transformed. 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Wow. If you wanted to show someone that you love them, what would be the way that would be most powerful for you to show that? Would it be for you to send them a card? Maybe. Would it be for you to sit down and talk to them? Maybe. But if someone really had a need and you knew that they had a need, and that need was something that they couldn't take care of themselves, and you met that need, how powerful would that be? If someone doesn't have food and you provide them food, how powerful is that? If your child is sick and you bring them to the doctor who can actually help them, how valuable is that? And if you have an incurable disease in you and you go to the person who actually can provide the, the medicine that will solve your problem, how much love would that be? Quite a bit, wouldn't it? That's exactly what God did when he prescribed that his son would go to the cross. That sacrifice that he would do, nothing else can pay for, for our sin because the wages of sin is what? You die. Thank you, Sean. Death. You die, but Jesus came that you could live, and by, by his death on the cross, we, we too will be resurrected. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says this, For God was so pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Rhetorical question. Do you have peace with God this morning? I learned that the longer you wait for a math answer as a teacher, the longer people will think about it and actually go, oh, he wants me to actually think about that. God actually wants you to think about that. Do you have peace with him? Because a year from now, one of you may not be here. Could be me. Could be tomorrow. We don't know the number of days we have. Do you have peace with God? Boy, it's Palm Sunday, and next week we have Easter. And realize that our days are numbered. Hebrews 9.27 is destined for man to die once, and after that, face judgment. Do you have peace with God? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you come to the point where you actually kind of figuratively got down in your knees and said, God, I cannot quit singing, sinning, and I know that my sin, the wages of my sin is death, and I know that you died in my place, Jesus. I receive your free gift. 
and I will live for you. I won't be perfect, but I will live from you. From here on out, I will carry my cross. I, I will follow you. And if you haven't done that, I'm just going to say right now, Easter will have a completely different meaning if you have a conversation with one of his pastors or someone who you know who is a Christian who can explain to you what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about a worldview. It's about a relationship with someone who is actually living, who died for you, who loves you and cares for you and went and paid the most costly price with the most painful, probably the most painful um, death that you could possibly have. Matthew 27 When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. This cross makes such a difference that there is this trained guy who has a hundred men underneath him. And what is his job? When he goes up, gets up in the morning, his job is to do what? Oh, I'm going to have to crucify three people today. That's his job. And that's his job tomorrow and the next day. And he's a trained killer. Yeah, he has his, his his soldiers with them, but that's what he does for a living. They knew exactly how to do it. They knew how their trade was. And yet this man sees a man from, this little Jewish man, nothing special about him, and he's hanging on the cross, and something was different about him, such that this trained killer, hardened killer would go, whoa, there is something different about this one. Comes to the point of recognizing who he was. Why? Because the cross and Jesus' cool as a cumber, cucumber response to God's prescription for our sin affected him greatly. Affected me greatly. Wow, when I came to understand, okay, you died not just for the world, but for, for me, and that you went through that. God can change any heart, a hardened soldier's heart or, or a criminal on both sides of him. One responds, one doesn't. Why? The heart is different in both cases, right? One said no, and God won't force it on someone if if you say no. But boy, he'll give you every reason and every possibility to come to know him. And so Jesus' effect, even in his last moments on the cross, so powerful to change the people around him. Colossians 2.15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then this word, tetelestai, which means what? Completed. Yes, it is finished. So you get your last school loan, and you make that payment, and guess what they they send back to you? Tetelestai. Completed. It is finished. You pay your last mortgage payment. It is finished. Jesus on the cross. Oh, did he pay for all my sins? I don't know. Ah, man, what if I sin tomorrow? To Telestai. Completed. It is finished. Completely. When we place our trust in him and have a relationship with him, he, he says, you know what? That's my burden to carry, not yours. That whole perspective that God can, uh, God can save us is, is, and that, that there is this transfer of the sin is just an amazing thing. And that even Satan is defeated as, as the cross uh, unveils itself as Jesus is hanging there. Carl Armingen recounted his experience of watching a large wildcat at the zoo. As I stood there, he said, an attendant entered the cage. 
He had nothing in his hands but a broom. Carefully closing the door, he proceeded to sweep the floor of the cage. When he got to the corner where the wildcat was lying, he poked the animal with the broom. It let off a wild cry, stood and hissed, and at last moved to a different corner of the cage and lay back down. Carl remarked to the attendant, You are certainly a brave man. No, I'm not brave. Then the wild cat must be tame. No, he ain't tame. Then if you're not brave and he's not tame, I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. To which the attendant chuckled and said, Mister, he's old and he ain't got no teeth anymore. Satan has no grasp on you when you've come to the cross. Because at the cross, even though he might have thought he had all of humanity, which he wants to take everybody down, what happened actually was is Jesus released his teeth. And no longer does Satan have the ability to pull a believer into his wombs. Not one of them is going to be plucked from my father's hand. Isn't that comforting to just hear that and go, okay, you know what? I maybe have some spiritual warfare going on, but who is, on, who is, who is for me is greater than who is against me. He is going to see us through. We, and we don't have to worry about that. Ronnie's baptism. So Ronnie is, he's in the back. Ronnie's raising his hands up so you can see. Everybody turn to Ronnie. Say, hi, Ronnie. Hi, Ronnie. Okay, just so he feels comfortable. Ronnie's a part of our family. He's a part of God's family. And we're going we're gonna, to, obviously, we're going to dunk him really good. In fact, I had to turn the water off back here because it was the overflow thing. And it was like doing that. I was like, I'm not sure when chance I and Ronnie get in there. There's about a foot there of margin, but you may see the flood coming over top here. So, and Chance promises to bring him to the bottom and hold him there for a while. So that's going to happen soon with Ronnie. The thing about Ronnie is this. He's a great example of the cross. And so are you and me as we came to Jesus and came to this point where we're just like, I'm at the end of myself And some of the things that Ronnie recognized, and he had some real, really, really vivid things happen to him, some kind of some vision things that happened where, um, and I would just say God was warning him, you you are at the end of of what's going to happen, and and if anything goes any farther, you're not going to be alive. And so as Ronnie uh, was explaining on a Monday night his story to me, first of all, I was like, wow, and I hear a lot of stories, but like, wow, I mean... Oh, you saw some things and did some things that are just really, really scary. And at the same time, you recognize that Ronnie knew he was destined for hell, and he knew that he was on the wrong, wrong path for a long time, and just realized that he needed something different. But what he didn't realize is that God had a plan for him, and that he would be supernaturally putting people in his life who would invite and who would steer and who would help kind of nurture that spiritual hunger that he had to the cross, that it would be kind of a direction that would bring him to the cross. And as we hear more of his testimony later on, um, and unfortunately, now would be a great time before the kids show up. But um, So the kids are going to do Hosanna this morning. And, and just to give you a little heads up before we do that is you're going to join in. Because when, all of, when Jesus came riding in, who sang Hosanna? Was it just the kids? No, it was everybody. So that just to let you know ahead of time, cat out of the bag, you're going to be doing that. 
But until that happens, um, what I'd like to do is actually share uh, Ronnie's story via the video. Can you flip over to that? Tanyan is super good. If it doesn't happen, we're going to do we're going to continue with the message. But let's do the let's do the message via the video if we can. Start off by saying that uh, I did not know God when I was young. I grew up in a family of Catholics, and uh, at home, uh, my parents seldom talked about God. I, I never knew God as as a young child. Um, I was messed up and uh, and homeless, turned to drugs and partying. I, I had to go into the Marines. Um, I didn't know how to be a father, uh, a husband, uh, but um, uh, I finished. Uh, I finished the Marine Corps. I did six years, uh, and had uh, during that time I had four boys. Just still, I wasn't a good father. I, I was always gone uh, partying. I, I would leave. I uh, wouldn't come home for the weekends. Um, after 17 years of marriage, I, I, I got divorced. I turned to using hard drugs for over 20 years. And her name was Sandy. Um, she, uh, she was really a good person. Uh, uh, she was um, uh, really into uh, the home life. Um, uh, eventually, we stayed together for 17 years. Um, and uh, uh, during the first uh, 10 years, uh, we were hand and foot, we were together. We would never leave our sites. But uh, the final six years, uh, we started uh, working with, uh, not working, but volunteering at a, at a Lutheran church called Micah 6, which was on the property of the University of Texas. Uh, she was a good worker, and we. She met uh, a, a lady named Mrs. Barbara, Miss Barbara Schultz, uh, Miss Cynthia Kane, and Miss Charlotte, and they were Lutherans at the University of Texas. Um, uh, they they really uh, enjoyed spending time with uh, with uh, Sandy. My wife Sandy was diagnosed with uh, stage four sarcoma cancer. Um, at that time, uh, it was just me and her, but Miss Cynthia, Miss Barbara, and and Miss Charlotte uh, really took her under her wing. She, uh, they would uh, take her to the hospital to do her chemo. They would uh, take her. Uh, to get uh, hair, hair things, because her hair fell out, uh, to do her nails, to do everything. And and during that time, I met uh, Mr. Kane, which was Cynthia's husband. And uh, I could not work a full-time job because I was home taking care of Sandy uh, in, in the mornings and afternoons. So uh, Miss Cynthia asked Mr. Kane if if she, if he had worked at the house, and uh, fortunately he had a lot of work, so um, uh, it was like that for two years. 
On June 5th of 2016, my wife passed away of sarcoma cancer. And I took care of her. Every time she used the restroom, I changed her, I bathed her, I picked her up, and there were times that, that I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Uh, Mr. Kane, Ms. Barbara, Ms. Sinton, Ms. Charlotte are a big part of my life today. Um, they're they're uh, just angels that I call my angels. I even have Miss Barbara down as uh, my first angel on my phone. So during that, after she she uh, after she passed for four years, I was lost. I I went from from drugs to more drugs. There, I, I don't think there was a bigger drug addict than me in Austin, Texas. Finally, I, um, I decided that I was gonna go to the VA substance abuse program. And right then and there, I said to myself, if I don't change my life, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna die and go to hell. Uh, so I finished with the, uh, the substance abuse program and I, I, uh, I qualified for an apartment with HUD Rash. Uh, he started picking me up and I started coming to the AA meetings. And after a couple of weeks, he said, how would you like to go to church? And I said, yes, I would love to go to church. Well, first I started going to Bible studies and I that's when I learned about God. I knew then and there that I wanted to give my life to God because I already knew from experience that if I did not give my life to God, I was dying. Whether I die there or here, I was going to hell. Sunday, I started making the AA meetings, the Bible studies every day, every week and I started learning about God. And then one day, um, I knew in my heart that God was, was talking to me because I had never knew him, but I knew he was talking to me. One day, I was gonna be his. And um, so here I am, I just wanna say that um, there is a God and he's in heaven. And, and I'm glad to be his, his child. Um, my life has changed and I come to church every Sunday and I pray and I come to Bible study and I pray. And you know what? I never get tired because every time I come, I learn something new and it's only because he loves me. And I just want to say that uh, here real soon, I think I'm going to get baptized. <laughs> so I, uh, so, I'm ready to get baptized and I'm ready to give my life to God. Um, and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I am so glad that the people in my life now, like Pastor Try, Pastor Mike, and all the people here, all I see are smiles and everybody talking and everybody just being happy. And that's what I want. And that's what I have. Pretty cool, huh? Cross, the cross makes a difference. In Luke 23, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. 
Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. A simple prayer, isn't it? Jesus, remember me. A lot of people say, how do you pray? Did this thief pray? He did. Remember me. And uh, if you have never come to a point where you have received Christ, I, I urge you, I urge you to come to the cross, that you just repent and say, I am a sinner and I cannot, I cannot save myself. I can't do enough good works. I can't go to church long enough or, or frequent enough. And I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And if that's a heartfelt prayer that you have and that you have the intention of following him as your Savior, then he wants to say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. And he wants you to respond as, as he uh, wants us to respond to his free gift of, of, of a saving grace. And so as we, uh, as we close and pray, uh, we're going to have the kids come in right after I pray, and uh, you're going to join in a song with them. Father, thank you so much for a changed life. And I speak of each one of our lives that have come to know you. Um, and Ronnie as well, as he is celebrating what he has already decided to do, which is to follow you and to make you his Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the cross that you purposed from the beginning of time, before the foundations were laid, that your son would come, that he would provide a free gift for us that is completely, completely your doing. Thank you so much for this free gift. It's the gift of love. It's the gift of sacrifice. It's the gift that we couldn't give ourselves. And uh, Father, we look forward to the time that we will one day walk with you and be with your son. And uh, we ask that, uh, that we, would, we would follow you, that we would uh, take up our cross, which is to deny ourselves and to follow you in, in every way, every way that we, uh, we can, whether it's in our home life or work or wherever we are, that we would put you first, um, seek you first. And Father, I pray as we approach just the celebration of, of, of Easter this week and we go into Holy Week, that we would have just a keen understanding and just a sense of what was going on when you uh, prepared your son, the, the perfect lamb, to be the sacrifice of the world, that that, that would happen um, and that it would be your, your plan to save us, that it would set the stage for us to have a Savior and a Lord to follow. We just thank you for that. Thank you for this time together. And uh, we ask that you would just bless this week. And we ask that you be glorified. We, we, just, we, pray, we pray right now uh, that you be glorified as you see more and more and more people come to you, come to know you. Even we just trust this week that your Holy Spirit would be um, even more alive and active as uh, people are looking towards Easter, even those who don't necessarily know and that we'd be your hands and your feet and your voice as we invite people uh, specifically this week to come to Easter service. And we just ask that you give us the courage to do that, that we'd have the courage to, to, to just realize that the tiger's teeth are out and that we, we can invite those people who, uh, who don't know you that they might come and experience grace. And we just thank you for this time together in your word and your, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.